Welcome to Pursue Wisdom, the teaching podcast of Bethlehem Church in Austin, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Paul Steele, and we are in a sermon series called Asking for a Friend. We all have questions when it comes to God, the Bible, what it means to follow Jesus. And we would like some answers to those questions to give us confidence in what we believe. And so my prayer is that in this sermon series, you will be encouraged, that you will be given some reasons on why you can know that following Jesus is the absolute best way to live. Let's get into the sermon. This morning, after spending a week with this material and stuff, I'm... uh, I'm convinced there's, this might be the most important message of all the ones in this series. And so we're looking at this question of how much influence should the Bible have on our morality? I want you to, to imagine, if you can, what it would look like to live biblically. What would it look like to live biblically? Back in uh, around 2006, uh, a guy by the name A.J. A. Jacobs, who is an uh, editor at Esquire and an author of, of different books, decided that he would take a whole year and live according to the laws, to the commandments of the Bible. He said he wanted to do this for, for a couple of reasons. One is... He said he, he, he was a father, a new father, and he wanted, uh, he wanted to know what he should be teaching his children because he grew up as, uh, as an agnostic. And, uh, and he, he made the statement that, that uh, he, he's a Jew like uh, the Olive Garden is Italian. Not very much. You know? And so, so even though he had that as his heritage, uh, it wasn't something that he was practicing. So he wanted to know, what should I pass on to my children? The second reason why he, he was interested in this was because he was concerned about religious fundamentalism and, and the extremeness that were coming from there. And he wanted to know what was motivating those people who took the Bible literally. And so he, he, he got... Uh, the Bible, and, and he looked through it and came down with 700 laws, commands for him to follow. And then he started to do that for a whole year. He got rid of all his mixed fabric shirt, shirts and clothing. He, uh, he grew out his beard because, right, you, the Bible says don't c- trim the corners of your beard. He said, well, I don't know what the corner of your beard is. So he just let it all grow. Uh, he, uh, he, he even carried around, even carried around rocks in his pockets because the Bible says you need to stone adulterers. So he tells the story of how one day in the park, he's, he's wearing his sta- strange kind of getup, you know, clothing, and a guy comes up and says, hey, what are you doing? And uh, he, Jacobs tells him, hey, this is my project. This is what I'm working on. And the guy said, well, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? And, and Jacobs replied, well, that would be great. 
Like, and so he starts to take these stones, these pebbles out of his pocket to, to throw at the guy. And the guy got all mad and grabbed his hand. And, like, and so he does this type of thing for a whole year. Trying to follow all the different laws in the Bible. And at the end of his TED Talk, this is where I got all this. At the end of his TED Talk... He, he says, the, this is what I learned from my year of living biblically. And I'm just going to mention three, the three that I thought were the most interesting. The first one is that as he tried to live this out, and he tried to do things like not gossip and not lie and those types of things, what he saw was that, that acting in that way actually started to change his thoughts and his attitudes towards people. So just the mere act of trying to live better started to make him a little bit better person. The second one that I thought was interesting was that he said he became a reverent agnostic. So he was still at the end of, uh, of a year of doing this, was an agnostic, but he, he said that he started to see that there is value in having sacred space. That there is value in keeping like the Sabbath sacred. That, there's, that it adds meaning and value to your life. And the last one that he mentioned, I think this is the most important one for us to, to understand is that he said, when it comes to the Bible, you have to pick and choose. You have to pick, you have to, to, you have to pick what is harmful or what is good. You have to pick what is good and discard what is harmful. You need to pick what is good and discard what is harmful. You see, when it comes to the Bible, we are all picking and choosing because none of us are really living biblically, whatever that means. We've all decided like, oh, we'll follow this and we'll not follow that part. You know, for, for some of us, what we'll say is, well, those Old Testament laws are are ceremonial, moral, and legal, and so now, now all we have to do is follow the moral law. Uh, the problem with that, the Bible doesn't really differentiate things like that. You know, for me, right, when it comes to why aren't we following some of these laws from the Old Testament, it, it comes back to covenant, right? Because God made a covenant people with the people of Israel, and he says, this is how I want you to live, but now we're under a new covenant with Jesus. And this is how we are to live, to live with love. And love is the, the, the foundation of how we are to live. But A.J. Jacob says, no, you, you need to pick and choose what is harmful and what is beneficial. See, he, he's, he's making a value judgment on what is good and what is bad. And what this tells us is that all of us are moral, right? We all have this sense of fairness of what is right and what is wrong. You see two children playing together, 
And if they play together long enough, what is going to happen? One of them is going to say something along the lines of, that is not fair. That's not right. We live in this culture and a society that says, this is right and this is wrong. People have a morality. They're determining what is right and what is wrong. There's a sense within us that says, this is right, this is wrong. This is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. And why is that? Why do we have this sense in our lives that there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. Well, I think the Bible tells us why this is. See, for us who follow Jesus, the Christian worldview begins with God. That's the starting point, that there is a God and God created everything. And he created human beings, how? In his image. God created human beings in his, in his image to represent, to demonstrate his character, right? So there is a part of us that seeks to represent God well in this world. And so the Apostle Paul writes in Romans, right, what I read earlier, Romans chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. See, it shouldn't surprise us, right, that people have this moral life, that they see things as right and wrong because we're created in God's image. And Paul says, even the Gentiles who didn't have the law were able to do what the law said because it was written on their hearts. It affected their conscience. They were able to say, this is right and this is wrong. But here's the great moral dilemma, right? is that even though we are created in God's image, even though we have this sense of right and wrong in our heart, we don't always agree what is right and wrong. And we don't always do what we know is right. So why is that? Why is that? I think to understand this question and to understand the question of what the role what role the bible is to have in guiding our morality we need to go we need to remember the grand story of the bible we need to go all the way back to genesis right so god created human beings in his image and adam and eve were to learn what that meant what it what good and evil meant how to represent God well by 
walking with God. God was going to show them. God was going to teach them. They were going to learn to do God's will by their relationship with God. By walking with him. That's what discipleship is. Walking with another person and learning from them. Following their example. But what happened? So, we see in Genesis chapter 3, right? God created a garden. And in the garden, he put two trees in the center of the garden, right? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And one day, Eve is there for whatever reason. And she's tempted. This serpent who represents Satan comes and convinces her, like, hey, you want to be like God? Then go ahead and eat this fruit. Verses 6 and 7 of chapter 3. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Adam and Eve were to learn what it meant to live as God's image bearers from God himself. But instead, they decided, I want that wisdom. I want to be able to define what is good and evil on my own. They grabbed it. They took what was not theirs. And the image of God was corrupted in their lives. Because rather than relying on God to teach them, to give them this wisdom and how they are to live, they decided, no, we're going to define it for ourselves. And then the story of the Bible, right, goes, and, you, and we have death, and we have violence, and we have evil, just start to be introduced at greater and greater paces. This good world that God created was corrupted because mankind, humankind, the people God created to represent him in this world, to steward this good creation that he has given to us, were corrupted. And though there was still this part in us that said, this is right, this is wrong, we started to ignore that And we began to say, no, this is right. It's right for me to kill my brother. It's right for me to have more than one wife. It's right for me to go and plunder and pillage and do all this stuff to to gain all this for me. This is, is what is right. And the further that we go down that path, the, the more corrupted God's image in us becomes. 
And the more we become silent to that conscience, to that image of God in us that says this is right and this is wrong. But God had a plan to rescue his creation and to rescue humanity. He still desired a people to bear his image, to represent him well in this world. And so God comes to a man named Abraham and says, hey, I am going, I'm choosing you out of all these people in the world. I am choosing you and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. And all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. And so God does. God blesses Abraham. God blesses Isaac. God blesses Jacob. God blesses Jacob's sons. Even during their time in Egypt, God blesses them and makes sure that they are fruitful and they multiply. And yet they are are slaves in Egypt. God delivers them out of Egypt and brings them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, he makes a covenant with them. God created a covenant people to demonstrate his character to the world. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Verses 5 and 6 say, Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So God has Moses up on Mount Sinai, and he says, this is the message I want you to give to Israel. Right? You are my covenant people. You are a holy nation. You are to be a kingdom of priests. And what is the job of a priest? The job of the priest is to represent God to the people and to represent the people to God. The priest stands in the gap there. And God is saying, this is who you are to be, Israel. You are to represent me to the world, and you're going to represent the world back to me. This is who you are. This is the covenant I am making with you. This is why I am setting you apart from everybody else. I want you to be a light in the darkness, a light to the nations. That is your job. And to make that possible, God hands Israel the law, starting with the Ten Commandments, and going on to the other 603 commandments in the, in, 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 found in the Torah, this is how you are to live. This is how you are to be set apart from all the nations around you. You are to represent me to them. Demonstrate my character. Be a light. Follow my law. But instead of choosing to be God's covenant people, what did they choose? They chose to be just another Canaanite people. Rather than being set apart and bearing God's image to the world, they chose to be conformed to the image of the nations around them. But God did not give up. 
The world needed a light to show them the right way to live. And so the prophet Isaiah comes along. And he writes this in in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. And you will be a light to guide the nations. Now, after the time of exile and before Jesus came, the rabbis and the teachers of religious law says, this servant that that Isaiah is talking about, this person uh, uh, who was to be a light to the nations is Israel. Israel's supposed to be this light to the nations. But when Jesus shows up, he says, this prophecy is about me. And John, and John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Who's the light of the world? Jesus is the light to the world. We are to follow him. He shows us the way to life. He shows us how we are to demonstrate God's character in this world. But here's the issue. The issue is that Jesus lived at a certain time and place in history. How is Jesus supposed to shine to all the nations of the world? So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It was thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus says here, you are the light of the world. See, as The body of Christ, we carry on the mission of Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world, and he lights our lives. And as we follow him and we go into the world, we become the light of the world. Showing the rest of the world the way to live, the the way to bear God's image in this world, to represent him well. That is our mission. But to be a positive influence requires us to live in the right way. So how do we do this, right? How do we live in this right, in the right way? And because that's what morality is all about. Morality is about right and wrong. And for us who follow Jesus, for for us who are called God's people, the foundation of our morality is love. 
When someone came up to Jesus and asked him, what is the most important commandment? What is the thing that we need to focus on the most? Jesus refers back to the Old Testament, so we see this this continuance from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Jesus goes back into the Old Testament, and he takes from the law, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and Leviticus 19, 18, and he says to them in Mark chapter 12, verses 29, 29 through 31. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God is one, is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord with all, with, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus says it's about love. And when we think about the Ten Commandments, right, the first four deal with loving God. How do we love God? And the last six deal with how do we love people? Loving God, loving people. But what does, it, what does a love look like? Because our culture says, oh yeah, we need to love. Love is like the best thing that we can do. Love, 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 love. Nobody's gonna disagree with the fact that we are to love, but what does love look like? Jesus says, and John chapter 13, verses 35 and 34 and 35. So now I'm giving you a new command. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How do we demonstrate God's character? How do we show that we follow after Jesus? We love But we already just saw that Jesus said, this is the most important command to love God and to love people. But here Jesus says, a new command I give you. To love the way I have loved you. Jesus gives us the definition of love. Love isn't emotion. Love isn't just doing nice things for other people. The foundation of the love that God wants us to have, the foundation of the love that Jesus showed is sacrifice. It's the master who serves his servants. It's the God who dies on a cross. It is saying, I'm going, I, I, I want the best for you, so I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to, to sacrifice my time, my money, my whatever, so I can help you. It's putting other people's needs sometimes before our own. That's what it means to love. Love isn't just having nice feelings about one another. Love isn't just about doing nice things for one another. Love at its foundation is about sacrifice. So that the other person is benefited. That's what it means. 
Love is intentional action, seeking the best for the other person. So what does that mean for us? Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God, of kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things that these people do. For once you were full of dark, darkness, but now you have the light of, from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully examine what pleases the Lord. Take no part of, in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that the ungodly do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because this will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks to everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Paul says here, imitate God or demonstrate his character. Live a life of love. Get rid of these deeds of darkness so that you can shine as lights to those around you. That's what we need to do. But how do we know what to do? How do we know the, the, the right things to do and the things that we need to avoid? Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Spend time in learning God's wisdom, the wisdom that is found in his word. Spend time in fellowship together, studying together, worshiping together. And the Holy Spirit who is working in us and among us is going to lead us in the way that he wants us to live. Trust the Holy Spirit to teach us wisdom as we study and apply God's word to our life. See, what is going on in here? And our hearts is just as important, if not more important, than our actions. And that was the failure of the law. 
The law could guide your actions, but the law was powerless to do anything about the condition of your heart. The law didn't transform people. The Holy Spirit does. And so we need the Holy Spirit more than we need anything else. We need the Spirit at work in our lives. So how much should the Bible influence our morality? For us who follow Jesus, it should more than influence our morality. The Bible should form it. For us who follow Jesus, the Bible shouldn't just influence our morality. The Bible should form it. The Bible reveals God's will and character to us. We study it, we meditate on it, we pray it, we apply it to our lives. And the, and the Bible shapes the, and apply it to our lives. And the Holy Spirit uses that word, that wisdom found in God's word, to transform our lives. Now, the Bible shapes the morality of our cultures, of the world, as Christians live as salt and light in the world. The Bible shapes the morality of our culture as we live as salt and light in the world. I know that we want to be able to say to the world, this is what God's word says. This is right and this is wrong. But in this post-Christian reality that we find ourselves in, that is often counterproductive. To tell people this is what God says when they don't even believe in God. To say this is what the truth is, and they, they see this book as nothing but an ancient fairy tales that people use as a crutch. To say this is what God says, and this is how you should live, it's often going to be counterproductive. And this is what Jesus says, when, when, this is part of what Jesus meant when he said, hey, when you see your friend with a speck in his eye, make sure you take the log out of your own eye. Like if we're not doing this, if we're not living this ourselves, we're not going to influence on Israel or the surrounding nations when they didn't live it, when it didn't transform their lives. And so that's the way it, it influences our morality, that it forms us, and then we, as God's people, are able to influence the culture we live
day in this post-Christian reality that we live in. So here's our big idea this morning. The Bible is to shape the beliefs and behaviors of, of God's people as we influence the world. The Bible is to shape the beliefs and behaviors of, of God's people as we influence the world. This is how, this is how we are the salt and light, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We live this out. We ask the Holy Spirit to change us, to transform us so that we can live it out, that people see, actually see that, hey, there's a better way to live than the way that I am living. Salt and light, those are two things, two elements that influence the environments that they're in. We are to influence the environment, the culture that we are in. Be salt and light. So here's our challenge this week to read Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. And then ask, or then confess sin. We all have sin. We, have, we, we all have things where we fall short of demonstrating God's character, living this out well. So confess our sin, and then think of ways to show love. How can we show love to other people? And then let's start doing those things. How can we show love to people? Jesus has commissioned us to be salt and light. That is our task. And that is how we're going to influence the world that we live in. We don't have to worry about the questions that we may have. God's not afraid of them. There are good answers to the questions that we have. And I am confident that as we seek these answers, God is going to use the whole process to strengthen our faith and make us into the people that he created us to be. Keep on asking those questions and keep on looking to God.